Mark chapter 2, and uh, I'm going to give it all I got. Um, I, uh, I know that we've got a special guest preaching next Sunday as Meredith and I travel back to Chicago for the service for Sarah. Um, but I would just ask you that you understand, especially in these kind of moments, that you are the church. It is not, uh, it is not Meredith and I. Uh, it, it, it's, it's not just uh, Scott and Rebecca. It is it, like th- we are the church. And I would ask that you just keep cranking. While we're walking through this thing with our family, I would ask that you keep inviting, keep believing, keep expecting, keep uh, uh, bringing people. People along. I love that story that Vic just uh, shared about Kevin. Uh, what an awesome thing. And keep sitting in the front row because there's nobody sitting up here except for these amazing people. Um, but front row is the best row. And uh, it's the splash zone. Um, it's where God's, God's anointing hits first. Mark chapter 2. Y'all with me? All right, we're going to read a few verses, and then we're going to pray and worship some more, because I need some of that. Mark chapter 2, verse 1, when Jesus returned to Capernaum, several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors. I love that line, packed with visitors. If you're a guest with us, welcome. Uh, we want more of you. Uh, we believe that this is a place where God can heal and bring life and joy into people's world. So I want to see a place packed with visitors. Amen? Uh, and not just here. Again, we don't just do church in rows. We do church around the table. So we got dinner party. I want to see our dinner parties packed with visitors, people who have been welcomed into someone's home or to someone's table and given a meal and shown hospitality at a, just an incredible level. That there was no more room even outside the door While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. I love this verse. I told the guys at Leadership Weekend last weekend, I have not preached out of this story in a very long time. It's kind of one of those, you know, softball lobs to the hitter. Like, yeah, we can, we can always preach this one. This is one you can always bring something out of. It's such an incredible story. I'm not going to try to read into this story, but I do believe that this, this is something really powerful. Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a map. They could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. Interesting thing to say to a paralyzed man who has just been lowered through the roof to the floor in front of him to say your sins are forgiven. Not necessarily the phrase he was looking for. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. And I'll tell you why he knew in just a minute. He wasn't like prophesying. He wasn't discerning thoughts. He knew why they were thinking what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to a paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? I mean, he's got a point here. Or stand up, pick up your mat and walk. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. The man jumped up, grabbed the mat, walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. 
That's my prayer in this next season. And over the next several weeks, we'll be unload, like, uh, just kind of uh, delivering to you and sharing with you some vision for our church over the next year. Uh, but I believe our vision is that, we, that people would look at this and say, I've never seen anything like this before. I've never seen anything like this before, this combination of uh, transparency and authenticity and this spirit-filled thing, but also, man, they really preach the Bible and this relational and yet, man, exciting, and they don't just talk about the row, but they want the table to be filled, and I've never seen anything like this before. That's what we want people to look at our church and say, because the truth is that's what people need to see. They need to see a church they've never seen before. I think there's a lot of people in the city who need to see a church that they don't recognize. They need to see a church that they can't make assumptions about, and they need to see a church that they don't have that don't that doesn't prove their perceptions of what a church looks like. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm saying we want people in this city to look at this church and go, I didn't know that's what church was like. In fact, for many of you in this room, your stories that we could tell uh, have everything to do with the fact that you did not realize church felt this way. You didn't realize church could be this welcoming. You didn't realize, in fact, we had a young guy who came who was a part of a, a local church, and this is not a knock on their church, but I'd finally gotten him to come. And it helps when I have an Aussie coming around all weekend with me to invite people to church. And so I was using Sam as my way to get people to come. And this young man showed up at church. He texted me that afternoon, and, and he said, man, I've never been welcomed into a place like that. He said, I've never been so genuinely welcomed into a place. So we had another uh, young lady who came with her husband who I've, been, again, been trying to uh, bring along. And they own a local coffee shop down the road. And, and uh, he, she came in, and she, we saw her the next day, in fact. And she said, I, I just have never felt so, like, there were no expectations on me. They didn't expect me to do something. There was no pressure for me to show up and do this or do that. And, and she looked at Meredith and I and goes, I didn't even know you guys were the pastors. I just thought you were nice people. And, uh, and, 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 uh, and we are nice people. Um, um, but but I, I love that that's what people are saying when they experience our church. And, um, I, I, and so I, I, I want us to be a church where people have never seen anything like this before. Amen. I want to pray and jump into this. And, and we're going to just break this down a little bit uh, over the next few minutes. Lord, I thank you so much that your word is living and active. I thank you so much that right here, right now, in this group of people, in this family, in this church, uh, you can speak to their hearts better than I can. And I thank you so that even whatever I say, if it's, if it's a little bit confused or not so perfect or whatever, uh, Holy Spirit, you can take it and make something of it. And so I pray that every person here is, is receptive to what you want to speak and what you want to share to their hearts. And so I pray you guide me and guide my words, but I pray whatever is not good and not of you, I pray it would go away. But I pray what is uh, would speak straight to the hearts of people and that we'd walk out of here different people uh, ready to reach every street and every heart uh, with Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I, I really do love this story, and I just want to go back through this and kind of touch on a couple things, and, and hopefully you're taking notes, and hopefully you brought your Bible, uh, because it is uh, an important thing. It just feels so much better when I hear the pages turn. There's something unique about Bible pages when they turn. You know what I'm talking about? There's like, it's like folding and everything as you turn it, and you can just hear that sound, and if everybody's doing it, it just feels, Mare's doing it a lot right now just to make me feel better, um, and, and uh, I just, I love Love it. And uh, so I would encourage you to bring your Bible. Uh, plus, you can look at the person next to you who didn't bring their Bible and just kind of look them up and down. And uh, it's a nice feeling. 
But four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. And I apologize if this is not in perfect order when I tell this back to you, but, but I just hope you'll go with me today. Uh, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. And, and, and I'm not giving any lead-in stories. I don't have any humorous illustrations for you. I just want to tell you that, that, that there, there's a, it matters that you are carrying your corner. It's what we talked about in Leadership Weekend, that you have a corner to carry. There is something for you to pick up. And for too, too many of us, we are too worried about what our corner looks like. We are too worried about whether it's the perfect handle or that's exactly where we're supposed to stand or if we're supposed to be in the front right corner or if we're supposed to be in the back left corner and we're arguing about where we should stand around the mat when we've got a paralyzed man who just needs to be healed and get in front of Jesus and we just need to pick up whatever corner is in front of us at the moment. And we all have a corner to carry. And I'm not telling you that there's not something specific God has put in your heart. But if what, what you have a calling for is more important than a healing of somebody, then, then, then maybe we've gotten the order of this thing wrong. I, I, these four men, and I don't know about you, I didn't have a mat to bring. I thought it would be a great illustration. It's just been those kind of, one of those weeks where I, I just haven't had the time. Uh, but this mat, you know, I wanted to lay a mat on the floor and, and have four people stand around it and put somebody in the middle and try to pick it up. So I just want you to imagine that with me. And, and, and what happens is, is if you have all four people and you have one person in the middle, four people picking that up is not nearly as difficult. Uh, it, it stays even. It stays level. Uh, every corner is taken care of. They're not going to roll off one side or the other. There just seems to be some uniformity there. Diversity, because every person's different. Strengths are different. What they look like is different. Where they want to go is different. And yet they pick up their corner because they believe the healing of a man is more important than what handle they have, right? And so they, they, they pick up now. But if there's one person in the four who decides that, that they're too frustrated or too uh, uh, hurt or they're too angry or they, 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 they have a different way they want to go, or maybe they don't want to go to Jesus, they want to go somewhere else, or whatever it is, if you just leave one of those corners alone, when the other three try to pick up the paralyzed man on a mat, guess what happens? The paralyzed man does not get to his healing. In fact, he probably ends up more hurt. In fact, there are probably people in our churches who have been hurt, not because there weren't three people who were trying really hard to take them to Jesus, but there was one person who was like, forget that. I'm out. You don't know what they said to me. We, I think we always read into this story that there were four men who arrived on a mat all in agreement. We all assume that all four of these men really liked each other. Like they were best friends and that they came up one night and were like, hey, you know what we should do tomorrow? We should go find a paralyzed man and take him to Jesus because we're awesome together. I mean, have you ever tried to pick up something with four other people? There are some discussions that happen in the midst of doing that that are not always the nicest of discussions. But if you are willing to let go of your hurt and your hate, you will take someone to their healing. And if you will just look around and go, I know, Joe, you, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you tried to pick it up before the rest of us. You almost, like, you almost rolled off. It would have been awkward. I can't believe you. I can't believe you would take the back. That's my favorite corner. My right arm stronger than my left arm. No, no, I'm just going to, I'm going to put your healing above anything I have towards any of these people. Now, they might have been friends, but I'm, I'm just telling you, un, unity is not a result of our perfection towards one another. Our unity is a result 
of our purpose together. Too many times I want to make it about how good have you been to me and how good have you been to me and what did you say about me and what did you not say about me and when you could have said something nice and you didn't. And all. We want to make it about that. In reality, it's not about that. It's about who do we have that still needs some healing and how can I get them to Jesus with some people who look a little different than me, have a little bit of a different background than me, maybe have some hurts I don't even know about yet, but we're all going to pick up our corner and take them to Jesus. And I mean, I, look, I might even be a little bit hurt. Like, I might have gotten hurt yesterday and may have skinned my knee, but that skinned knee doesn't look like anything next to that paralyzed man. And so I'm going to pick that person up, and I'm going to get him to Jesus, and at some point I'll take care of the knee, but right now I'm just going to get him to Jesus. I'm not trying to tell you to serve people always hurt. I'm trying to tell you that serving people may require you to step into a place even beyond your own ability to forgive or heal, and you have to trust that God is going to take care of you in those moments. That sometimes it's about us going, oh, you know what? I'm going to put down this because I need to pick up this. It mattered. So we always read into these Bible stories because it's the Bible. So everybody's good and perfect in the Bible, which is actually completely untrue. It's what I love about the Bible. What I love about the Bible is it's not perfect and it's not clean. And it's not, it's, 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 there's a lot of messy in the Bible. Most other religious books will tell you all the perfection and all the greatness of their leaders. That's not what really this does. In fact, it actually tells you that the one who was meant to save us cried out to his father and said, take this cup from me, but instead he said, whatever you want to do. Like, if anything, we should have a confidence that rises up in us when we read the story of Jesus and his disciples to go, oh, I'm not going to get it all perfect, but I am going to live with purpose. So so they pick up the corner, and that's Ephesians 4.16, isn't it? Some of you are like, I don't know. Uh, Let's read Ephesians 4.16. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Now, again, some of us are reading that like that means I'm perfect and you're perfect. No, 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 no. He knows you ain't perfect and he knows I am perfect. So he's going to put us together where our perfections work together and where they don't work together, where our imperfections match up a little bit. And he's going to put us together and go, this is really in about your house. It's about my house, the dwelling place of the Lord. If he would put us together as each part does its own, listen to this, as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Your decision and my decision to not grow will hinder other people's growth. And the opposite is true. My unwillingness to help people grow will actually also limit my growth. So if I'm not willing to carry the corner of someone who needs healing, there's a very good chance that I won't actually ever end up in a place where I get to see something that no one has ever seen before. Because I'm too busy worrying about that handle or that corner or where I'm supposed to stand or where I'm supposed to. I believe the church has too many times has elevated personal calling over corporate calling. But Jesus called the church to make disciples. That's, our, that's, that's, that's the calling. If you want a calling, there you go. Serve people, there you go. Love people, there you go. That's the calling. I've given you good works. In fact, Ephesians 2.10, which we like to read as a specific one thing to do, it's not that. It's good works. That is called plural. It means there's many things because they're all driven by the same thing. Our love for people because of our love for Jesus that drives us to love people well. So you might be gifted at one thing, but that is not the only thing that you are ever meant to do. And so these four men arrive, carrying a man on a a mat. They get him 
to the house. The house is just packed with people, right? Can't get in. And, and, and so they climbed the roof. Now, now, just so you know, this is not like they MacGyvered a ladder and somehow, like, you know, duct taped this dude to the mat, pulled him to the top of the ceiling, d- had some shovels, and just started digging into the That's not what this is, okay? Like, don't get, you know, it's a great story, but that's not really what's happening here. They have stairs that go to the roof because that's what, that was normal. So they would walk up the stairs, and then the, 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 it had a couple layers of, 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 of stone and, and, and some different things that they could peel away. So it wasn't like they destroyed somebody's house. All right, y'all, don't go to somebody's house and start pulling off shingles and, you know, <laughs> get a saw and just cut a hole in. And then, yeah, that's not what this is. This is them getting to the top of the house. They, they, they make it, but they do, but at the same time, but at the same time, how many of us aren't just even willing to walk up the stairs? I mean, how many of us are just so obsessed with our cultural desire for comfort that we won't even climb up the stairs or dig some holes in a roof? It may not have been the, 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 the construction site that we like to imagine it, but it still was an effort with, that was put in to get people to a place where they could be put in front of Jesus. And so they get to the roof, and they, they, they lower someone in front of Jesus. And I love this because I, I want to just mention a few words here, and, and, and you'll notice uh, a theme here in just a moment. Uh, four men arrived carrying a man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus, so they dug a hole through the roof, Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus and seeing whose faith? Their faith. I find that incredibly interesting. We read the story of the the prostitute who came to Jesus and poured oil on his feet just several weeks ago in our At the Table series. And we talked about the fact that Jesus said you were forgiven, uh, but there was never a confession. He said, you're forgiven, and there was never a uh, prayer prayed. There was no, you know, six-line prayer that we all have to pray at the end of a service, and we do that to help guide people and, and lead people into a place where they can make that decision. Sometimes we need that, but there was none of that, and, and, and actually there's none of that here. This paralyzed man sitting on a mat doesn't do anything. We don't see him speak. We don't, we're not even sure Jesus is referencing the paralyzed man's faith. We just know that he's at, at the very least referencing the four men who were willing to carry the mat to the house to Jesus. I want, you to, I want you to really understand this. I want you to hear this because it challenges me. Where is it in my life where there is someone who is frozen, they cannot move, they cannot get themselves to it, and it is not going to be their faith that gets them to Jesus. It's going to be mine and yours. Where is it that someone in your life is just, they're just, they're paralyzed by whatever it is, by hurt or disillusionment or discouragement or pain or whatever it is. They're, they're just frozen. I'll tell you in, in our, uh, this the story with Bryce and Sarah. She, she was in a place, obviously, having gone through a divorce, uh, a painful divorce, have three little boys, single mom. Bryce shows up in her world, and, and she was kind of in a place, and, and then getting a diagnosis of cancer three months into their relationship, and, 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 and he stays in it, and it was, I'm telling you right now, it was his faith. Not hers. That brought her back to a place that said, I'm going to trust God no matter what. It was that kind of a faith. I don't know about you, but I want to have that kind of faith. That whatever this person's dealing with, whatever they're going through, whatever they've been frozen in because of their valid hurts and pains, the things that they they really truly are hurt by or frustrated by, or whatever the case might be, the experiences they've had, 
And I'm going to be somebody, that's my desire, I'm going to be somebody who comes up alongside them and, and, and picks them up and, and gets them to Jesus. And Jesus is not going to look at the paralyzed man expecting that this paralyzed man who has been stuck for years, that somehow their faith is all of a sudden just going to show up in a moment. No, he's going to look at mine and Joe's and, and Susie, sure, and uh, let's go biblical, like uh, Bartholomew. He's going to look at their faith, and he's going to go, oh, I'm going to bring healing right here in this moment to this person. Your sins are forgiven. Now, again, let's talk about this, your sins are forgiven thing, because I don't know, has that ever struck you as strange? It's a little bit strange. It's a little bit, he does this a lot, actually. Jesus does this thing where he goes, someone gets in front of Jesus, they're hurt, they need healing, and, and, and Jesus goes, your sins are forgiven. Thank you. Thanks for that. Right? Awesome. You, man, you read my mind. That was a bumpy ride all the way here. Then they got me up the stairs. I'm pretty sure I was going to fall off at least twice. Then they dug through the roof. That is not my fault. That was their decision. They put me in front of you, and you say to me, your sins are forgiven. I actually didn't think I was sinful. I was just hurt. I just needed healing. And now you're telling me it's my sins that are forgiven. Now, here's why this is important. Because in tra Jewish tradition, the sin would have equaled sickness. So the sin was, was the reason he was somehow, whether it was his or someone before him, had somehow put him in this place where he was sick. Now, Jesus is not affirming that viewpoint. What he's doing is he's trying to turn it on its head and confirm that he is greater than any sickness or sin. So Jesus says to the first thing he says to him, your sins are forgiven. So the reason he knew what the Pharisees were thinking is because he knew what they believed to be true. That if he was going to say your sins are forgiven, then that had to in some way result in his sickness being resolved. And so Jesus looks at them and says, I know what you're thinking because you think because I, I said forgive his sins that somehow now his sickness is dealt with. And you haven't seen it happen yet. And so Jesus sets them up in a lot of ways. He is putting them in a place where now they have to deal with the fact that he's about to do something they can't reconcile. Because for them, if he had just healed, they would have still accused of sin. They would have still said, you're sinful. I know you got healed, but that's separate from the thing that put you there in the first place. Oh, isn't that the church sometimes? Oh, I know you've made some good decisions, and, and you're different now, and God's made some things. But I remember... I remember the way you walked in here. I remember the things you've told me. I remember who you were. Isn't that the devil sometimes? Ah, yeah, I know, I get it. Jesus did some things, but you know why you were there in the first place. How dare you get there in the first place? I can't believe you even got there to begin with. And God, Jesus is going, no, 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 no. I'm just going to take care of all of it. Your sin is forgiven, and I'm going to prove that I can say something like that by healing you and raising you up off the mat because your sin cannot hold me back from doing what I came here to do in you. And so Jesus looks at this man and says, your sins are forgiven. And so maybe he wasn't looking at Jesus going, thanks, appreciate that. What a savior. Maybe he was actually looking at Jesus going, wait, what does that mean? Does that, does that mean that something else is about to happen? Wait, 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 does that, does that mean that there's something else that can possibly come out of this? Does, does that mean I can... I, I, I get it. You saved me from my past, but does that mean that there's now going to be a different future? 
Like maybe when people come into this place, they need to, be know, they need to know that their sins are forgiven. Jesus is not going to hold things against them. Jesus died so that they might be saved. But in the midst of that, they should walk out of here with expectation. Because now something's about to change. Because they are no longer condemned. For anyone who in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? There's something different now. They can walk. They can stand up. They can do something. How many of you want that to be the story of people who you carry to church, who you bring to church, who would walk in and go, oh, my sins are forgiven. But in them, it unlocks something else. It, it, it reminds them of something else. And the worship team can start making their way up here. Uh, it, it reminds them that something's changing, that, yes, their past did, God never sets you free from what was just to leave you in what is. He always saves you what was so that he can take you in what will be. And you have to walk through what is, but you're going to something different. This side of the room really liked that thought. Y'all, I'm not so sure about. But Jesus wants you to understand that your sins are forgiven, not just so he doesn't have to look at your messy, dirty past anymore. Your sins are forgiven so he can begin to look and show you who you were made to be, who you were created to become. That's the desire of God, is that your past has been moved on. It's been forgotten. It's been moved away from. So quit grabbing hold of it. Drop that so you can pick up a corner and carry somebody to Jesus. And you can walk out of that crowd as you started by looking like the crazy people walking up to the top of a roof and digging a hole. You're walking out of that place and coming down the stairs like, yeah. You're walking slowly down those stairs. Because, yeah, I was the people as Jesus looked up through the hole in the roof and said, your faith has made this person well. That was me. I brought them down. And I'm walking out, man, I'll just tell you. I know I don't have a good strut. I don't care. I would do it anyways. Right? I, you know, you open hand, just you got to do one of these, and you walk down those stairs, and you're going, oh my goodness. And now, and now, there was four people who were called they. Now there's hundreds of people who are now part of they, because they have never seen anything like this before. But it happened because four men, whether or not they were all buddies, we don't know. It could have been that one dude just saw them trying really hard and knew that three wasn't going to cut it. So another guy went over and picked up the corner. Said, I'll help you. I don't know how long the walk was. I really don't. I have no idea. There's nothing in the Bible. If someone tries to tell you, they don't know. We don't know how long. What we know is, is they, they dropped whatever they were doing. They dropped whatever they were worrying about. They dropped the busyness of their lives. They dropped the strongholds in their mind. They dropped the negative thoughts. They dropped all the stuff and said, let's get this one to Jesus. I think, see, that's, I think, and we've said it already today, but I think that's, that's, the, that's the thing that happens when you have an expectation of what Jesus can do. There will, there will be nothing that holds back your invitation. Because it's in the invitation that someone actually has a revelation that they're welcomed and they're wanted. And then maybe, just maybe, God can do something in their life. Now, some of you, most of you, are here because someone invited you because they had an expectation for you. And you had a revelation in your life because someone had enough of an expectation to bring you along. Why can't we do that for other people? 
And I'm not just talking about strangers you meet along the way who you want to invite to church. I'm talking about friends you have that are paralyzed. They're frozen in something and they need you. They don't, you don't need to let them figure it out. You need to be the person who gets some other people around. You take that corner, you take that corner, you take that corner. I got this corner. We're getting you to Jesus. Because I know what God's called you to. I know what God believes about you. I know what God's put in your heart. I know what he desires for you. I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to carry you to Jesus. See, that's what it looks like in the body of Christ. People united around people. People united around taking people to Jesus. And if we can be that as a church, taking people to Jesus. We're not taking them to church. Please hear me. Please don't bring them to church hoping that the methodology of church and somehow the routine of church is the thing that will save them. They took them to Jesus, to Jesus. So we're not here trying to give you some ritualistic idea of how to do your life so somehow you can get fixed. We do not need another religion here. We need a Jesus who can save and set free. And so I'm bringing people to Jesus. And so this gathering of people is not about the fact that 11 o'clock is a good time. This is not about the fact that the G chord, I don't even know if there is one of those, uh, is the good chord. I'm, it's not about whether or not someone sang it right or the, the welcome thing was great or whether people, it's about the fact, are we making people a way to get to Jesus? Are we opening the door so they don't have to? Are we singing a song so they can just hear it? Because I needed that today. I'm bringing people to Jesus. That's what the church is. A people gathered. So many visitors that you can't even contain it because they all want to see Jesus. Let it be known that C3 Fort Worth is about seeing Jesus. And if we see Jesus, we'll drop everything else. If we see Jesus, we'll pick up our corner. If we see Jesus, we'll pick up our purpose. If we see Jesus, we'll let people carry us there. If we see Jesus, we will find out we have not just been set free from our past and the routines and the things that have been built into our, our thought process, but, but we will begin to see that we can walk in a new life and we can walk upright and we can walk in a different way because we not, not only are saved from what was, we are set free into what can be. I just need some people to carry a corner. That's all Jesus needs. He just needs some people who will carry a corner. Whatever corner. Pick. Wherever it is. Just pick any four, just any one corner. It doesn't matter. Quit worrying about whether or not you can handle it on this side or that side or whether the back just doesn't put you in the right, you know, lighting or like just, just, just find a corner. Just find any corner and pick it up. And bring people to Jesus. And forget about what, what part it was that you played. Just know that you were one of the four who was put in the Bible, who was put in the story. And someone's life is different because you were willing to carry a corner, whichever corner it was, and to get people to Jesus. Lord, I pray right now, all over this place.